Amen, amen. At the end of service night, please remind me, I want to I gather the ladies that are going to the ladies' conference and pray over them. If you have your Bible, turn with me. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 22. I do not have a title slide for the sermon this evening. I do have a title, but I, I decided to use the priority slide because that's really the uh, reason that's that's the, the the theme of what we're doing for the month and the theme of the reason why I'm preaching where I'm preaching tonight. Uh, I'll be expanding if you if you see on the slide there, the scripture for the month is Hebrews ten and twenty four, and I'm going to expand that text a little bit. I'm going to begin in verse twenty two and go through verse twenty five. It says this: Let us draw near with a true heart, full in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Amen. I want to preach for a few moments tonight from this title, The Other Reason Why I Go to Church. The Other Reason Why I Go to Church. Look at your neighbor and say, I wonder what the other reason is. Well, you, you got to know the first, you got to know the, the, the first reasons before you can know the other reason. Amen. You may be seated. I go to church. That is a huge part of who I am. It is one of the unchanging constants in my life. In good times, I go to church. In bad times, I go to church. When we don't have any money in the bank, I go to church. Whenever we're flush with money, which doesn't happen very often, I go to church. When I'm up, I go to church. When I'm down, I go to church. It really doesn't matter what's going on in my life. When church time rolls around, there's one thing you can count on. I'm going to church. Amen. Amen. And since I'm the head of my household, my family's coming to church with me. They don't have a lot of choice in the matter. My, my kids don't get a vote. Amen. They don't get to decide whether we feel like going to church tonight just, just because... Uh, that, that may be what they want to do. It doesn't matter to me. I'm going to church. We go to church. My family goes to church. On Sunday, we go to church. On Wednesday, we go to church. When there's a special service, we go to church. If those doors are open, we're going to be there. Amen? Now, I go to church for a variety of reasons. First of all, I go to church because I need what I get here. I need to be exposed to the presence of God. There's something about corporate worship that is special to God. There's something about the coming together of a, pe a group of people that is important to God. He said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm going to be there. 
Amen. I'm be right in the middle of them. When, when there's a gathering of a community of believers that attracts the presence of God. If, there's something about God that said if they're going to get together, they ain't getting together without me. Amen. I, I'm going to be where they are. I can't explain it, uh, but something happens uh, when a community gathers uh, in the name uh, of Jesus uh, that is in some way different than what happens when a lone individual sets out to pray or to worship God. God likes it when there's unity. God likes it when there is community, when there is a corporate effort to come together and worship him and he has purposed in his heart and he has told us in his word that there will never be a time where as few as two or three come together in his name, that he will not invest his presence into that meeting. That's one reason why I go to church. Because I need to be exposed to the presence of God that is made manifest in the community of believers. Another reason why I go to church is because I need to have the Word of God preached to me. Now, I'm a student of the Word of God. I study the Bible, and I can dig into the Word, and the Word speaks to me, and God speaks to me through His Word. Uh, but once again, there's something special about the anointing that rests upon a man of God as he ministers the Word of God to the congregation of God. Uh, there is an empowering in that anointing uh, that rests upon the minister as he speaks what the Scripture calls the very oracle of God. Uh, that's the very sacred word of God. And I know from experience, uh, as these other ministers in this house know tonight, that when God takes over the transmission of a message from my heart as a preacher uh, to the heart of the congregation of worshipers, uh, something wonderful happens uh, in that transmission. Uh, he multiplies his word uh, in the ears of the people. Uh, he anoints my mouth. Uh, as I speak his word uh, and when I'm in this pulpit uh, he speaks through me and I know from experience that many times I find myself saying things that were never in my notes that were never a part of my study and preparation because God moves on me and begins to minister through me uh, as I preach the word. I'm going to tell you another reason why I go to church. Uh, I go to church uh, because I need the ministry of the word of God to impact my life. I recognize that even as a pastor, I am in the place where I need a word from God. I need a man of God to preach the word of God to me. That's why I'm not the only one that ever preaches in this pulpit. That's why Brother Sanders or, or Brother Huddleston or, or someone from outside of this congregation stands in this pulpit on a regular basis and preaches to this congregation because I need to be preached to. 
I need the Word of God preached into my life. That's why there's cassette tapes in my drawers that old-time preachers that I listen to. That's why there are CDs in my truck and why there are MP3 files on my iPhone. Amen. Because I need to hear preaching because preaching is what saves us. That's what the Bible said. God chose the foolishness of preaching to save the lost. I need that in my life. Amen. I need that anointing. I need that that power and presence of God that moves upon a man of God that has studied and prepared the word of God to deliver to me more than the results of their study, more than the results of their preparation. I need that something special that happens when the uh, anointing of God rests upon that man of God and they begin to preach the word of God to me. I, I can't get that on my own. Amen. Another reason why I go to church is that I need to know that I'm a part of something that is bigger than I am. It's all too easy for me to get bogged down in my own life and what all is going on around me and forget that this thing is a whole lot bigger than me. I'm a part of a church. I'm a part of a community of worshipers, and together we're a part of a bigger community of worshipers. Uh, amen. I'm a part of a church that's a part of a section that's a, a part of a district that's a part of a, a national church that's a part of a, an international church. Uh, amen. This thing is bigger than I am. Uh, it's bigger than my little short range of vision. Uh, together we are the body of Christ uh, in this world. Uh, together we are the community of the cross, uh, the fellowship uh, of the redeemed. Uh, I'm not just a lone ranger. Uh, this isn't just a solo performance. Uh, it isn't just about me. I'm a part of something that's bigger than I am. My boys and several others in this room play the instruments in the band at school and the music that they learn to play together with the band is designed to be played with the whole band. Every instrument has its part, and every part is unique. And the individual parts, they, they're, they're only small pieces of the whole. When my boys are practicing at home, the music that the, the band will play at festival, they're practicing to prepare for some competition or some concert. They play their part, and their part sometimes doesn't reflect the song. It doesn't resemble the whole song. It may be just a series of low notes or it may be just an isolated melody, just bits and pieces of the overall end product. But in and of itself, I, I'm sorry, boys, but it's not all that grand. It's not all that exquisite. It, it's not the whole performance. It's not the whole peace, but when it is heard in the context of the whole band, when everybody comes together and everybody tunes up their instruments uh, and everybody begins to play it together and the flute does their part, uh, amen, and, and I'll get, if I start naming instruments, I'll get lost, but they all do what they all individually do and in the context uh, of the whole band, uh, the end result uh, is beautiful. The end result uh, is exquisite. The end result uh, is grand. Uh, every instrument harmonizes together and, and together all of the individual parts come and they, they weld together into one glorious whole. 
then and only then that piece of music springs to life. That's one of the things that the church does for me. Coming to church causes me to realize that I'm a part of something. I'm just, I may just be a small cog in a small wheel that's a part of a bigger wheel that's a part of a bigger structure, but I'm a part of something. Uh, and what I do matters. Uh, amen. If the, if the taxophone doesn't play its part, uh, something sounds wrong about the song. Uh, if the flute doesn't get on their melody at the right time, uh, amen, something sounds wrong uh, in the music. Uh, I may not be doing all that much, uh, but the much that I'm doing matters to God. God, uh, it's an important thing. Amen. It fits into a larger, grander, master plan. And I am made whole. I am made complete. My life finds its satisfaction, its purpose in the church. That's another reason why I go to church. As you've probably seen, I could go the rest of the night. I could go on and on and on because there are a lot of reasons why I go to church. But most of them, like the examples that I've given you so far, are focused on me. They revolve around what I get out of a church service. They, they revolve around what happens for me when I come to church. I get the filth and the crud of this world washed off of me by the preaching, by the water of the word of God. I'm cleansed uh, by his word. Uh, I get my spirit uplifted uh, by the corporate worship of the body of Christ. Uh, I begin to sing and I'm off key uh, and he begins to sing and he's off key too. But together we make a harmony and I get blessed by it. Amen. I get blessed when I come to church. I, I get encouraged when I come to church. I get, I get refilled. I, I get refreshed. Amen. I, I wouldn't want to face Monday morning without a Sunday night. Amen. I, I get something special when I come to church. I get, and I get, and I get. But for a few moments this evening, I want to preach to you the other reason why I go to church. Faith. Hope and love were three very important elements of Christian living in the first century. They are concepts that are grouped together and emphasized in several different places in the New Testament. Perhaps the most famous of those places is 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 13 where Paul tells us that there are three abiding characteristics of Christianity. They are faith, hope, and love. But Paul says, the greatest of these is love. No further explanation is given regarding what makes love greater than faith and hope. He doesn't go into any detail. There, there have been a lot of discussions on the matter among scholars and theologians, but Paul just tells us that among the three, all three of them are important. All three of them are abiding. That means they're lasting. Some say that means they're everlasting or eternal. They're, they're abiding. They're going to be there. They're not going away. These are Christian virtues that the church in the first century had, the church in the second century had, and the church in the 21st century is going to have. The church is always going 
going to be characterized by these three things. Uh, amen. They're linked together by that fact. They abide and they remain. They are lasting attributes of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. This morning we were talking about what pleases God. I can tell you for a fact that those three lasting attributes please God in the life of a believer. Faith, hope, and love. But I can also tell you that the greatest of those is love. Now in our text... Paul issues three imperative commands to the church. They all begin with the words, let us. And they mirror those three virtues, faith, hope, and love. The first time Paul says in verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Let us draw near to God. That's something that every believer should strive to do. That's something that everyone who wants to live for God should be trying to do, to draw nearer to God than you are right now. That should be the greatest goal in your life, to get closer to God than where you are right now. The question is, how do you draw nearer to God? And the answer has something to do with a true heart and the full assurance of faith. Uh, in order to get closer to God, you've got to have faith in the precious blood of Jesus. You've got to have faith in the fact that your conscience has been cleansed uh, from guilt and condemnation. You've got to have faith in the fact that you've been washed uh, in the blood of Jesus Christ, that you've been washed uh, whiter than snow, and it's faith in God, faith in what God has done for you that enables you to grow in grace, that enables you to get closer to God. Faith is what makes it possible for you to get closer to God. Without faith, you can't grow. Without faith, you can't get closer to God. Without faith in what he's done for you. Some people can't ever grow in God. Some people can't ever get any closer to God because they don't have any faith in what God has done for them. He has forgiven them. He has gotten over their past, but they can't get over their past. They're still holding it against themselves. They're still finding a trouble forgiving themselves. They can't draw any closer to God because they don't have the faith that it takes to grow. The second imperative that Paul gives is let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. I say, wait a minute, Brother McCall, that's supposed to say hope. We said faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. The first was faith. I've got to tell you, that's a very, very bad translation. The Greek word there is, there, there, the word faith is in the text, verse 22 and verse 23. It's there both times, twice, two different words. The first one is the word, the Greek word for faith. The second one, verse 23, is the Greek word for hope. That's why the New King James Version, the NIV, the ESV, the MEV, all translate that word as hope, not faith, saying, let us hold fast to the profession of our hope without wavering. Because Paul is using that, that, that 
identification back to faith and then hope and then love. And so he's saying we, we're by faith we draw near to God and then we need to hold fast to the profession of our hope without wavering. If it is our faith that causes us to get close to God, then it is our hope that keeps us there. As a matter of fact, the Greek phrase that is translated as without wavering conveys the idea that if our hope is shaken, then we will be shaken. We're to hold fast our hope without wavering or without being shaken because if we let our confidence become unsteady, if we let our hope become steady, then we will become unsteady in our walk with God. We've got to hold fast to our hope. Uh, amen. We can't afford to lose hold to the hope that we have in the promises of God. It's what restores us. It's what renews us. It's what keeps us close to God. Amen. We're to hold fast uh, to the profession of our hope. I know I said it Wednesday night, uh, but I'm going to say it again here tonight. Hope is what compels us forward. When everything in the world is against us. Amen. Hope is what keeps us moving forward when we get stuck and we get bogged down. And when the weight of this world becomes too much for us to bear. Hope is what compels us to press on. Amen. It is the hope of glory, the hope of the promises of God, the hope that God will do what he said that he will do. And we know that he will because Paul goes on to say that he that has promised uh, is faithful. You can trust him because he's trustworthy. You can trust him because if he said it, he's going to do it. If your hope is in God, then nothing in this world should be able to shake that hope uh, because God always delivers on his word so we have faith faith enables us to draw closer to God and we have hope and hope helps us to stay close to God but what about love the third imperative is found in verses 24 and 25 many people look at these verses as separate distinct to some of even gone so far as to make the argument that verse 25 represents a fourth imperative. But that approach does violence to the translation of the original language in the Greek, verses 24 and 25, are one sentence. It's one thought. It is one imperative. It is the third in the list, and it begins this way. Let us consider one another. Consider one another. To provoke unto love and to good works. Let us consider one. Let us think about someone else. Let us stop for a moment and consider someone beside ourselves. Now what makes this so interesting is that of the three fundamental Christian issues, faith, hope, and love, only love requires a community of believers in order for it to be fulfilled. You can draw near to God through your faith on your own. You can hold fast to the profession of your hope when you're all alone, all by yourself. Uh, but you cannot consider one another. You cannot provoke one another unto love and good works uh, if you're on your own. 
There has to be a community of believers before that can happen. There has to be another with you before you can consider one another. Amen? Faith I can manage on my own. Hope I can cling to alone. But the expression of love is not something that I can do by myself. As a matter of fact, the Greek word here is agape. It is agape love. Uh, And if you know anything about agape love, agape love uh, is selfless love. Uh, It is the kind of love that was shown to us at the cross. Uh, It's the giving of oneself so that another can be blessed. Uh, Agape love is about laying down my life uh, for another. Uh, It's the kind of love uh, that requires the presence of another before it can ever be manifest. That kind of love, agape love, cannot be expressed in isolation. I cannot express, I cannot manifest agape love by myself. Now let me remind you, there are three that abide. They are faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And that is the only virtue that I cannot express alone. Love requires the community of believers. It requires the fellowship of the church. That's why the sentence goes on to say, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. You've got to be a part of a community of believers before you can manifest agape love. Now let me tell you, I've told you some of the reasons why I go to church, but let me tell you the other reason why. I go to church. I go to church so I can be a blessing to somebody else. You see, agape love is not about me. It's not about what I get. It's not about what I need. It's not about what someone else is about to do for me or what someone else uh, can can give to me. It's about what I give to somebody. It's about what I share with somebody. It's about the way I can encourage uh, somebody else. Uh, It's about letting the love of God uh, be manifest in my life uh, to bless somebody else. Uh, The other reason why I come to church... uh, has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with what I get. Uh, It has nothing to do with what I experience. Uh, It has everybody, everything to do with somebody else. Uh, Someone needs to be encouraged. Uh, Someone needs to be blessed. Uh, Someone needs to be provoked uh, to good works. Uh, Someone else needs to know uh, that they're not alone in the fight. Uh, Somebody else needs to know uh, that there's a brother standing beside them, that there's a sister that is there with them. That's the other reason why I go to church. Because church is the only place 
where I can stand shoulder to shoulder with a brother who is weak and weary and encourage him to continue in the fight. Uh, church is the place where I can, I can stand and reach out to a brother who is in need, not just of a financial blessing, uh, not just of a material gift, uh, but somebody who just needs my time, uh, just needs my attention, uh, just needs an ear to listen uh, while they pour out their heart. I can't do that at home. Uh, I can't do that alone. I can't do that by myself. You see, if I don't go to church, I'm not just robbing myself. I'm robbing the community of believers. I'm robbing someone else uh, of the good thing uh, that God wants to do uh, in their life. Uh, Somebody needs to hear my testimony. Somebody needs to see that I'm still in the fight. Uh, I haven't been overcome. Uh, I haven't given up. Uh, I haven't tossed in the towel. Uh, Amen. I may be having a rough week. Uh, Everything may be going against me. It may seem as as if all of hell uh, is arrayed against me. But guess what? Uh, The devil's had some good licks in on me but I'm down but I'm not out I'm still in this thing I'm still going to church I'm still lifting up my hands I'm still praising him I'm still giving him the glory I still got my victory yeah I got a black eye yeah I'm walking with a limp yeah I may be broken down and weary but guess what the devil ain't took away my shout he hasn't took away my praise he hasn't took away my worship I'm still in this thing. Somebody needs to see that. Somebody needs to hear that. Somebody needs to be encouraged by the fact uh, that I'm still with them, uh, that I'm still there. That's the other reason why I go to church. When we read Hebrews 10 and 25, it says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. We tend to focus on ourselves. We tend to think it's about us. So we give us a pass. We know we should go to church. We know we ought to be there. But we convince ourselves that it won't do us much harm to miss a service every now and then. You know, I just don't feel like being there tonight. And I think I can manage without it. And it's all about me. And we missed the entire point. The whole reason for going. Uh, The whole reason for not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together was never about us. Uh, It was about the community of believers. It was about the fellowship uh, of the redeemed. Uh, It was about being there when the church comes together so that we could encourage one another. It was about let us consider one another to provoke uh, unto love and to good works. Uh, Let us think about somebody else. You see, when you're here, it is an encouragement to someone else that is here. When you're here, it is a blessing to a brother or a sister in the Lord. That's the reason why you shouldn't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. It doesn't have to do with it whether or not you're a strong enough Christian uh, to miss church every now and then. It has to do with your weak brother that's going to be there that needs to be encouraged. It has to do with a sister that is hurting that needs a word of encouragement in her life. It has to do with somebody that's watching the testimony of your life. Paul even points out that there were some in the New Testament church, some in that day and age, who had developed the habit 
of missing church. He very pointedly says to the readers of his letter, you shouldn't be like them. You shouldn't act like they act. When the church is together, you ought to be there. If you're not going to church, if, if, if the myriad of reasons that I started with, all the stuff that you get by being at church is not enough, then come for the other reason. Because what you give is more valuable than what you get. Amen. Somebody is watching you. Somebody is counting on you. Somebody is looking for you. There is a brother that is broken. There is a sister that is discouraged. There is a fellow saint that lost their job today. There is a father who got bad news from the doctor today. There's a mother who needs a shoulder to lean on. I know it's just the average ordinary Sunday night uh, or Wednesday night, but you don't know what's going on uh, in the life of a brother or a sister. Uh, the world aggressively seeks to destroy faith and discourage hope and to rob us of love. And when they come to church, they're coming to find somebody who will show them love. They're coming to find somebody who will be there for them, that will help support them, that will help bless them. It's at the church house where our faith is encouraged. It's at the church house where our hope is affirmed. It's at the church house where we discover the true reward of love is found in giving not in receiving and someone at the church needs your love that's why you need to go to church someone at the church needs to be encouraged by your ministry someone needs to hear your testimony someone needs to see your consistency someone needs to know that you're like a rock that's steady you're there every time the doors are open uh, you may not do anything but smile uh, but can I tell you there's ministry in your smile uh, you may not do anything but pat somebody on the back uh, and tell them you sure do look nice tonight uh, but can I tell you there's ministry in your encouragement uh, you may not do anything uh, amen but just be there but there's ministry in your presence because it does somebody good to see you in the house of God. In the final phrase of verse 25, Paul says that church becomes even more important the closer we get to the approaching day of judgment. In light of that, I find it interesting that the Greek phrase translated assembling of ourselves together occurs only one other place in the New Testament. Paul uses the same phrase in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 1 where he says that when Christ returns for his church at the rapture, we will be gathered together to him. I believe that Paul was intentional in his wording. I don't believe it's an accident that he reaches back and uses the same phrase. I believe he was telling us that the gathering together at the rapture is going to be a whole lot like the gathering together of the people of God at church time. And Paul makes the point, if you don't want to miss that final assembling of ourselves together, then you ought to make it a habit not to miss the other times 
when we assemble ourselves together. As a matter of fact, I got a feeling that heaven's going to be a whole lot like an assembling of ourselves together for church. Amen. So I want to take the moment tonight, and I'm finishing up with this, to draw your attention to the priority that we're emphasizing for the month of April. Priority, relationships. There are certain relationships that need to be in a place of priority in our lives. Chief among these is our relationship with God. That matters more than anything else. Next to that is your relationship with your family, your spouse, children, parents, siblings. Those are important relationships. And one key thing that you learn as you mature in those relationships is that they don't revolve around you. My relationship with my precious wife is as much about what I do for her as it is about what she does for me. It's a two-way street. If I was always the taker and never the giver, she'd get tired of me after a while. She almost tired of me just like it is. I'd hate to try it any other way. Amen. Either I'd have to change or we'd have problems. It matters that you give as well as get. Another very important relationship to your salvation is your relationship with the church. And I want you to understand on this Sunday night that your relationship with the church is, is as much about what you bring to church as it is about what you get from church. You matter. Your presence matters. Your ministry matters. Even if your ministry is just a smile. That smile matters to somebody in the house of God. You are important. Paul said that we are to provoke one another unto love and good works. When you provoke someone, it's not normally a good thing. I know a little about provoking too. Amen. And when you provoke someone, you, you irritate them. You prod them. You poke at them. Harrison knows how to provoke. He's a master at it. It makes you uncomfortable. Sometimes it makes you downright angry. Amen. But Paul uses it in a good sense. Not in the negative, but in the positive. When you provoke someone in a positive sense, it means that you're persistent in your encouragement. You're continually saying, don't let down. Don't give up. Don't give it. Hang in there, brother. It's going to get better. Hang in there, sister. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. If you just keep, keep at it, don't, don't back up now. Don't back down now. Paul says that we ought to consider each other. The, re the other reason why I come to church, uh, amen, the thing that I'm talking to you about tonight, uh, your relationship with the church, uh, you ought to consider somebody else uh, because your ministry is important. Uh, it matters that you provoke somebody in a positive sense, that you encourage somebody that you're there. You can't do that if you're not here. Amen. 
Somebody look at your neighbor and say, Pastor's being pastor. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Paul uses the image of provoking in a positive sense. One writer used this word picture to describe what that means. He said, it's like a runner who's running a marathon. And he is near the point of exhaustion, near the point of of giving up, near the point of breaking down when another individual runs alongside him and begins to encourage him, saying, come on, you can do it. I believe in you. I've got faith in you. You're not in this thing by yourself. You're not fighting this battle alone. You're not struggling against this thing all by your, all by your lonesome. This isn't a solo project. We are the church. I am your brother. You are my sister. We're in this thing together. That's what Paul meant when he said provoke one another. He said you, you just sometimes you got to come up along somebody else uh, that's in the fight uh, and you got to wrap your arm around them. You got to tell them, brother, I've been praying for you. Uh, I had you on my mind when I got up this morning. Uh, I don't know what's going on, uh, but I know that God's got his eye on you. Uh, sometimes you got to come up beside a sister and you got to begin to tell her, I know you've been struggling. Uh, I know there have been some battles. Uh, I know the enemy's been trying to get you down, but I just want to tell you, Hang on there. Stay in there. Keep at it. Huh? Don't give up now. you come too far. You've done too much. Huh? You've got too much invested in this thing. Huh? There's more behind you than there is ahead of you. Keep pushing on. Huh? Keep pressing on. Huh? Keep holding on. That's the other reason why I go to church. Because somebody needs. I feel the Holy Ghost pressing in on this place right now somebody needs that ministry of encouragement uh, somebody needs you uh, to provoke them uh, Somebody, if you're not there my friend uh, they may not be there next Wednesday when you do get here uh, if you're not there they may not be there the next service uh, when you do come along uh, they need you uh, to be there to provoke them This is what we're going to do. A brother's going to go to a brother. A sister's going to go to a sister. We're going to serve one another. We're going to provoke one <laughs> I feel like the ministry of encouragement is about to be turned loose in this place right now. On the authority of the word of God. In the name of Jesus Christ. I speak faith into this atmosphere right now. I speak the power and the presence of life into this place right now. In the name of Jesus Christ. I'm asking you God to lose some blessing in this house right now. I'm asking you God to lose some encouragement in this place right now. In the name of Jesus. God's about to 
lay somebody on your heart. Amen. God's about to lay another man, another another lady on your heart. I'm asking you right now to step out by faith, to pair up, to get together, to express a prayer request, to tell a need, to take a moment. Let somebody pray for you, then pray for somebody else. It's not about what you get. It's about what you give. Come on, church. Step out in the aisle right now. I want you to take just a minute. I know this is unorthodox. I know this is not normal. Sunday, we like to shout and run the aisles. We like to be in the altar weeping and crying. But I feel like the Holy Ghost wants you to minister one to another, to provoke each other, to come to each other and encourage one another. Why don't you get out from where you are?